This is a special uh, day for for me and actually for the whole Rubio family. Uh, I'm recording a digital side hug from my home. And I think this is the very first time I've ever done this. I've got a special guest with me who spent the night at our home last night. Yes, you're right. And this, we have in our house and in our country, a guest named Francis Mbuvi. You're right. Now, uh, Francis, spell your last name for us and tell us the trick to pronouncing it. Uh, it's spelled M-B-U-V-I. And you pronounce it Mbuvi. So you barely pronounce the M. Yeah, but... It's like attached to the B, but again, you hardly can, you know, say it. It's like <laughs> movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've got friends that just, they just treat the M like it's silent, and they just call you Boovy. You're right. And that's not bad, but it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm, that's not actually my name, but close to my name. It's an attempt. Yes. But it is kind of tricky to say Boovy. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Tell us what you do, tell us who you are, and, and what your job is, and what you're doing in the United States. Uh, I work with street children in Nairobi, uh, children who live in the streets of Nairobi, and they have been chased away from their homes, and they find a refuge in living in the streets. And uh, we, we try to give them education and help them see that they can become important people in the society. And uh, I'm in the country. Uh, finding uh, some people who would want to partner with us and help us to uh, continue reaching out to the many children that we work with. I was uh, able to come visit um, you a few years ago, mm-hmm. my only time to ever go to the to the continent of Africa, and I was able to come to Nairobi and to see where it is that you grew up. Yes. Because you were, uh, and, and just to let you know if... Um, we haven't said the name of the, the company or the, the work, the ministry that you work with. It's called Made in the Streets. Made in the Streets, you're right. And, movie, you're a youth minister. To, I mean, some, that's, to a big extent, yes. That's, because most of the people that you work with are essentially teenagers and youth. Yeah, you're, you're recruiting, you're looking for, finding. You've got a team of people that are on the streets of some of the... The, the most difficult slums in Africa. I guess the second largest slum You're in right. Africa. Yeah, it's the Matare slum. Second from the largest one, which is the Kibera slum. And you find... What what ages, on average, is the, the street kid that you will look to, to you know help and possibly rescue from the streets? There are all sorts of age, uh, age children on the streets, but... Our focus is mostly on those who are between the ages of 12 to 14 years. Those are the ones that we will we will invite to come to our program and you know eventually take in as the boarding program. And there is so much that I want our listeners to hear about this story, and I think we'll start kind of with you and and how this started for you because you grew up in in Mathari Valley. You're right in the slum there mm-hmm. and. And you're now the executive director of, of a ministry that is is saving, you know, uh, terrorized and and homeless uh, teenagers uh, mm-hmm. and children from the streets. But before we do that, can I can I ask you a few questions? I do. Please, I, I, yeah. I do what I call a blitzkrieg get to know me, uh, which is intended to be kind of fast, and it it wow. rarely works that way. But movie. 
I've got several questions for you. First one, tell me the name of your wife and kids. Let, let us meet them. Well, my wife is called Maureen. Uh, met her in church and uh, we sang together and we still do sing together. Yeah. Got married uh, 13 years ago and uh, we have two children, uh, Jonathan and Jeremy. Eight years and five years. Maureen, mm. Jonathan, and Jeremy. And I've, yeah. I've gotten to hear you two sing together. Oh, yeah. And I've sung a little <laughs> bit with you. Yeah, right. Um, well, it's just a blessing that you're here. I know you've been away from them for a month. Mm-hmm. So so on Monday, here in about five days, you're going to be returning. Yes. That's going to feel good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, being back home. Back home in, in Kamulu, yes. outside of Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's been the best thing and what's been the worst thing about your visit to the U.S.? Well, the best thing is that I've gotten to meet many people who are really interested in what we do. Yeah. The bad thing is that uh, it's been too long, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, to be away from family and kids. You were in the U.S. maybe five years ago or four? Four years ago. Did you stay for a month then? I stayed for three and a half weeks. Okay, so mm-hmm. not quite this long. This will be five weeks? Yes. Wow. I, I, I've never been away from my family that long, so I just pray <laughs> blessings on you. Thank you, thank you. And thank you for being here. Um, Okay, next question. Um, what was, since you've been in the U.S., your favorite American food mm-hmm. that you've eaten or meal? Oh, man, there are all sorts of good food. But yeah. my favorite has been uh, steak and briskets. Steak and brisket? Yes. Uh, brisket in Texas? Yes. Or, okay. In Texas, yes. <laughs> yes. Steak, big steak in Texas and briskets. Oh, man. That's... I had more oh, than I could take. Well, I'm taking you to Joey's House of Pizza tomorrow. All right. And I, and so I'm, I'll ask you this question again. Is that close to the brisket? <laughs> <laughs> it's very different. All right. Uh, but, but equally or even better, in my opinion, although I love brisket too. Mm. Okay. Uh, question. Your favorite American movie of all time? Do you, do you ever get to watch American movies? Yes, I do. What's your favorite of all time? I watched, um, it's called Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. I love that. Okay, great, yeah. yeah. It's, it's good because uh, it's one that not only I enjoy, but one that even my kids can enjoy. Right. So I like it. Yeah, that's a that's a great family movie. Mm-hmm. One of Robin Williams' best. Oh, yeah. All right. What Kenyan television program, do they, do they make TV programs in Kenya? Yes, they do. Okay. What Kenyan television program most resembles the, the television show The Golden Girls? Hmm. I wish I knew The Golden Girls, but I don't, so... <laughs> I wish you did, too. Yeah. It's a show about these four not-so-young ladies um, and, and the hijinks of living together and dealing with life together. So, is there a Kenyan show with an all-female cast? Mm, no, not that I can think of right now. <laughs> Is there a Kenyan show that you really think shouldn't be very popular, but that everyone loves? Because uh, that's pretty much the Golden Girls. Experts didn't know how in the world it would capture the American uh, imagination, but it did. That's certainly mine. There is one called uh, Muheshimiwa. You know, it's it, it's about uh, this. You know, big guy in the government who 
keeps you know manipulating people and all and when people are like you know we've we've seen enough of this you uh-huh. know, we should remove it but still keeps airing but people keep yeah. watching it oh yeah <laughs> okay good um what is your favorite acapella song of all time because i know you're huge we share this in common mm-hmm. the band acapella of course i don't you know youth ministers from the churches of christ don't need me to tell them what that is mm-hmm. but there's this group that's been making music since the 70s it's only vocal uh, no no instrumentation um and oh man they got honey in their voices what's your favorite acapella song uh that's a hard question because it's like you know all of them but uh, a good if, if i were to choose right now i would say sweet fellowship oh that's great there's nothing as sweet as fellowship uh that is a that's a great song and and we may just drop a little bit of it in right, right. here oh there's nothing as sweet as fellowship as we share each other's lives For there's nothing as sweet as fellowship As we share each other's lives talking about Sweet fellowship Sweet fellowship Sweet fellowship Oh yeah! Oh, I can't get enough of the yeah. sweet sounds of acapella. Okay, Dr. Morris Gregwire, who is a friend of mine, a friend of the podcast, uh, is looking to publish a book called Asking Can Be Fun. Uh, and listeners out there in podcast land, if you if you know of someone that can help get this book published, contact me. Find find uh, You can send me an email at thedigitalsidehug at gmail.com. Let's get this book published. Asking Can Be Fun. And Dr. Morris Gregoire asks this question, Boovy. Mm-hmm. The question is, in your last encounter with a talking bird, what did it say? Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> you don't remember an encounter yeah. with a talking bird? No, I don't. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, final question would be, there's a button in front of you, Boovy. If you press it, mm-hmm. Tottenham Hotspur whom you despise, but I love. Okay. I'm a big Spurs fan. Mm. I'm talking to an Arsenal guy. Okay. Uh, which hasn't kept us from, from loving one another. Yeah. But at times it's been fun to, to poke fun at each other, usually you poking fun at me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you press the button, so there's a button in front of you. If you press it, Tottenham Hotspur win the Premiership, Champions League, and the FA Cup in the same year. So this would have to be 2015-16 because we're not in the Champions League this year. But but if you press the button, Spurs win all three. Okay, if you do not press the button, Arsenal are last in the Premiership and are relegated to the Championship division. Hmm. What do you do? Uh, well, um... I think in that case, I would rather press the button and see my brother take it, other than have to be relegated and oh, thank you pain. so much. <laughs> that is a great answer. So because yeah, at least if you press the button, someone's getting a lot That's of joy. Right. Yes. You know, your 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 friend and brother David Rubio mm-hmm. uh, is is filled with joy at a, a triple. Is that what they yeah, call right. that? Yes, a and, triple. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, if if Arsenal are relegated, who enjoys that? I mean, I guess maybe all of us Spurs fans. You you won't even have competition. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. It's so fun to play all, even though we normally normally lose. 
All right. Um, well, it is such a joy to have you here. Our family loves you. My daughter Charity made eggs for you this morning. Thank you. I enjoyed those. And you and you told her what her name is in is it Swahili? Yes, it's in Swahili. And and how do you say it? Msaada. Msaada. Yes. And that's it that that means charity or that love charity. or what? Yeah, it's like you know when you go to a place and you get some charity or you're uh-huh. given charity, it's called Msaada. Msaada. Yes. And she loved hearing her name in Swahili. Uh. <laughs> and actually, tonight she's going to find you at church because she wants to take a picture wow. and make it the screensaver on her computer, a picture all of right. you two, you and her. So she, she was excited. We all are. And Booby, when I first met you, I hadn't gone to Africa yet. You were in. You were at our church. Our church is one of the sponsoring churches for Made in the Streets, mm-hmm. um, for the missionaries Charles and Darlene Colston that that started this work almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And you were trying to help our youth group understand what it's like for a street kid in Kenya. Yes. Because I live in a, in Nashville, Tennessee, or, or, or a suburb of Nashville, mm-hmm. and and our problems, we've got problems, and they're real, and the teens here have real pressures, but it looks different from the way it looks in Mathari Valley, yeah, uh, the slums of, of Nairobi, and... You came in, we decided that, that one of the things you would do to try and illustrate what teens in your context are dealing with, one of the things we decided was that you would come walking into our class dressed as a homeless person. Yes. Uh, wearing wearing clothes that didn't look like they were good clothes. Yes. Um, you came in holding a bottle from your mouth. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of wandered around looking, honestly, like you were stoned mm-hmm. or, or high, drugged up. That's right. Um, t- tell us, why did you come in dressed like that? And, and, and what does all that mean? Um, you know, tell us about the life of a street kid in Nairobi. You know, um, as I've been going around and talking to people, it's... I found that even when I mention street children, it's like the picture of a street children is not one that people are familiar with. And so to capture it in a good way and for people to understand what actually a street kid is, is something that is difficult. And so at that time, during I had tried to come in like that so that maybe I could paint a clear and vivid picture in the minds of, of the youth at that at that time of how a street child looks like and you know how they behave and maybe how they even have to talk and some of the things they have to undergo street children in nairobi spend most of their life just living in damp, uh, uh, garbage areas waiting for people to come and throw whatever garbage they have and they hope that you know in that garbage they may find something that they can eat or uh, they can collect something they can go and sell you know and so uh, once they get their money it's not like they're thinking oh i need to buy food they're thinking oh, i need to buy glue i need to buy the next drug so that they can keep forgetting about the pain and the hardships mm-hmm. and all the things that they have undergone or the neglect they have encountered from their families and the society in general now you said glue go buy glue yes that's a drug it is like a hallucinogen. It's uh, it's the glue that's used for shoes, but it has very, you know, uh, high smell. Mm-hmm. And once you inhale it, it kind of 
takes you to a different place you know you mm-hmm. you feel like you are not there you are in a different place in a world of your own and you know you are not in the current surrounding yeah. so to speak you know and and that helps the kids not feel the things that are happening around them or may have happened to them in the yeah. in the past and and the reason that they hold it in their teeth or hold it beside is just so they can continuously yeah if they're not smell. inhaling it with their mouth they are inhaling it with their nose so mm-hmm. it's constantly all you know, in- you've already mentioned that they that they're poor tell us about the lives behind that you know what is it that brought them there uh, you know how do they end up like this mm-hmm. uh, matar islam is one of the largest as i may have said earlier and uh, most of the families are not able to get much money maybe people would be earning a dollar or maybe you know a maximum maybe of five in a day and uh, with around four or five maybe even more children then uh, some families are not able to take care of their children and some of them are in broken families one parent has been remarried to another who may not want this child or these children mm-hmm. and thus those children are forced to leave their homes at an early age to go and fend for themselves because this new stepfather doesn't want to pay for or feed or or anything to do have anything to do with the kid very correct yeah because of that then the kids you know they don't want to be beaten up they don't want to be abused and you know they feel hungry and they decide you know I'd rather go out there and somehow hope that mm-hmm. I will be able to get something for, for myself. And they see others oh, yeah. on the streets, oh, yes. so they know that that's an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said abused. What types of abuse do they have in their home? Is it physical? Is it sexual? Is it all of the above? All of the above. Um, beating children in, in Kenya is not something that is uncommon. You know, most uh, Most children are beaten in their homes by their parents and even as we have interacted with many street children then we have had them tell us of how they were beaten in their homes and how it became too much to an extent that they couldn't take it anymore yeah. and they decided to run away from home i heard millie talk about a girl that was that was forced to sit on a hot pan i think it was almost like the stove mm-hmm. she was forced to sit mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. um Okay, I I remember when I was there that we one of the things I came over to do was record some interviews to mm-hmm. make a few videos to kind of highlight the ministry that Made in the Streets has there. Yeah. Uh, and we'll talk more about what Made in the Streets does, you know, in this sort of situation and and how God is using it in a little bit. But I remember that the some of the sons or or I'm sorry, the boys or some of the girls who are on the street, you know, we're interviewing them and they would say things like, bad things happen. You know, someone would do bad things to me. And I remember, I don't know whether it was Moses or, or who pulled me aside and just said, when, when they say bad things, do you know what they mean? And, and, and I, I didn't, um, bad, because bad things meant rape. It, mm. it meant, you know, um, it meant the worst of things that could possibly happen. And I, rem- uh, I remember David Wilson telling a story about a girl that, that ran all night long to stay safe. Um, when he was there, 
so when the sun goes down, what, what happens with these three kids? What's, what's life like for them? Life is hard in both times, both day and night. You know, they would prefer the day, some, but uh, it's none, no time is better for them. At night, it's even harder because they have to find uh, refuge in numbers. You know, it's like they will wait until it's too late when everyone has closed their shops, when everyone has left and they can be able to cuddle up in in one street and just sleep as close together as they can. And again, it's hoping no policemen or guards will come and beat them up or chase them from where they will be. But uh, if someone goes to a base that that is not uh, that does not have many people then they are in danger of you know sexual exploitation both you know both boys, boys and girls from you know from all sorts of people some those that are on their street and some from other parts you know mm-hmm. who, who come and look for the for the kids so they prefer to be you know to be in numbers together yes and this is where you grew up that's where I grew up. Um, did you grow up in a base, or how did it work for you? Did you, you know, obviously you're working now with Made in the Streets, but before that, when you were 13, 14, 15, you were living in Mathari Valley. What was life like for you? Well, for me at that time, I I would only go to the bases during the day, and I would just look for things to sell, you know, metal and plastics, paper, you know, anything that is that was sellable. And at night, if it was too hard for me to go at home because I would be afraid to be beaten by my mom, I would go and sleep. Um, we call them kibanda. You know, it's like a small booth where women sold their veggies. And I would go and hide under that with some of my friends and we would sleep there. And you know, that was like our base, but not in Eastley, but yeah. down in Matare. That was like what was our base. And in the morning, you have to wake up very early because if the person who sells there finds you again, it's going to be trouble for you. So, you know, you sleep late, wake up early Mm. and hope that you'll be fine. So you go through your teenage years like this. And then at the age of 17, 18, when did you meet Charles Colston? Well, I met them when I was around 18, you know, going to 19 there. And he was a teacher at a school there, right? A Christian school. He was the principal at a school called the Kenya Christian Industrial Training Institute. In Eastleigh? In Eastleigh. And how did you you start going there for church? Because the church met at where the school was, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. I had not like planned to start going to church, and um, you had no plans to. I had no plans. Um, had you heard of Jesus? Did you know about the gospel at this point? I would hear about it, but I think most of the times I just ignored. And you no, know, it's like due to the group that I was in, you know, the gang that we were in, you know, being a Christian was considered weak. Mm-hmm. You, know, you are like you know down you know you didn't know much you know but um, there was a guy who I had uh, you know I had known and he had known me and had even helped me some uh, and I would sell some marijuana for him he was called Sammy and he'd say you know if you want food you know come and sell some marijuana for me and I would sell and he would buy me bread and he had become a Christian and had made the costumes but okay. you no, know, over a period of, uh, of time, he got word about 
what what our group was involved in you know that we were mugging people and you know were doing all these sorts of uh, thefts and stuff so you you were doing those things yes i was and um, he got what about that and he kept sending people say hey, go let francis know that he can come and talk to me and that you know i just want to talk to him but mm-hmm. many times i didn't because i got drunk in changa or what we call um I think you call it moonshine here uh, no. <clears throat> and i never went but one day sammy comes and says hey no i've been sending for you and no i'd like for, to talk to you and so i go to sammy's place and no we're just talking and it turns out like sammy is counseling me and helping me see the reality of what's happening it's like your friends have been arrested your friends have been killed your friends have been beaten up it's only a matter of time mm-hmm. before it's you and uh, if you'd like you know you can come and live with me and start a new life are you ready for that no i say oh yes i'm ready no did you believe it i mean could you, you knew these people that had mm-hmm. been maybe killed or or had died or or were had been taken by the police did you really believe that it was a matter it was just a matter of time before that happened to you i think i did because um you no know, there were times that no i can't even mention each one of them but there were many times that i just came really close you know it's like to being caught by the police or caught, to being killed being beaten you know it's just that uh, i ran faster i think mm. you know, and that saved me you know and uh, i i know it was only a matter of time wow. before i could uh, i could be caught sam sammy yes So Sammy says to you, I love that you just said that. He mm-hmm. says to you, you know, it's only a matter of time till this happens. Do you mm-hmm. are you ready for a different life? You're right. Mm-hmm. Which is what exactly what you guys say as a ministry now. That's what we are to the street kids. Yes. Because I've I've seen it in action. There's this place and let's let's now let's talk about what you do. Mm-hmm. There's there's three steps. Yes. There's the Eastley Center. Mhm which is in the middle of the of the slum which sends team members out and when i say team members uh, for the listener i'm talking about essentially youth ministers youth workers people yes. who are employed by made in the streets mm-hmm. uh to go out into the slums yes and to communicate this message to the to the 13 14 15 year old street homeless street kids who are who are on their way to to death to prison to yep. a terrible life and to say we've got another way to live if you're ready to to get a hold of it yes and so what is once if they say yes and they start to plug in at the Eastley Center what what does that look like well for them it's a, it's a new chance to get you know a chance in life because they have spent most of their life on the base and on the streets and have been on drugs and if they had had any schooling it's all gone if they hadn't had then it's even worse mm-hmm. and so for them it's a chance to come to the uh, to main the streets uh, especially at the Isley center and get a chance to uh, to clean up get a chance to play get a chance for movies but above all a chance to prove to our team members that they have the ability to become useful and important members of society given the chance mm-hmm. you know and the chance is when we recruit them from isli to our training program in kamulu but for them in isli to come to the center it's uh, a first step towards showing us that they truly do 
want to change. So a, a, a teenager that comes into Eastley for a meal one day and then comes back the next day high on glue, you, you, you might say, I mean, what, can they come in high? They can come in high, but they cannot bring in their drug. Okay. They cannot bring in their glue or marijuana or whatever else it is. They can come inside the, the center. But they have to leave but it. But we, we tell them, you know, you have to leave it out. Because we understand that when they are out there, it's, you know, it's what they're used to. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and the kids don't live at the Eastley Center, most no, of them. No, they don't. This is like a day program where yes. they come in mm-hmm. and they get schooling and they get a, how much, one meal a day? or They just get one meal a day. One meal. Mm-hmm. So they eat lunch there. They get some training. Mm-hmm. They have a Bible lesson. Mm-hmm. They play. Yes. And then, and then they go back. To the streets, yes. And so each day you're you're watching kids getting a chance to see, you know, okay, th- this this student wants a different life. Mm-hmm. This, this kid, this this you know young person, is ready to to take the next step. That's right. That's and right. what does that look like? What's the next step? Well, once we've had uh, this, and and the process is a long one, you know, for for the sake of us. Uh, Talking here, I've just kind of you know minimized it, but it takes quite some time. And the years? Mi- the minimum it takes for us to bring in any boy, especially boys, it's one year. One year. They have to have proven to us over that period, twelve months, that they truly do want to change. They come to a program. We go to their bases. They come to a program. You know, it's an ongoing mm-hmm. thing. Over you develop a relationship yes. that over a year or even more yes. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And and why longer for boys? Well, one is because we don't have enough room to take them. Because there's more more boys at Kamulu. There is more boys okay. at Kamulu, and uh, so we think you know, uh, as much as we want to bring them now, and we don't have the room, then it's it's harder. So we you know we take longer to observe them, and hoping that we are going to have more room to bring them in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that is obviously just all related to the funds that you have to build facilities and to have dormitories for the boys. Are there more homeless boys on the streets of Eastleigh, on the streets of Mathari Valley, than, than girls? There is more boys than girls. And, and, and do you know why? Yes, we do. Um, mostly, girls are married earlier. Okay. At, at the ages of 12 to 16, You'll find girls who've been married either in Matare or in the basis by the masters. Now you're making a quote sign when yes. you say married. What? Mm-hmm. Why are they not actually married? No, it's not actual marriage. It's no. Uh, we, we call it come come we stay. You know, it's like they are they are forced because of circumstances okay. and so given they, away by the, a father or yeah, mother. It's like or you, forced to go. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm happy to let my girl go because. You, it means I won't have any more responsibility yeah. on her and you know, uh, she'll have, you know, someone else will take care of her and okay. I don't have to worry about it. And boys just, boys marry late. There's, so there's yeah. more teenage boys homeless in the yes. in the streets. You're right. Okay. And so you watch them at the Easley Center and you develop a relationship with them and over time, you, you, a, a, you know, a kid will prove to you they want and you know they want this new life they're ready to do this Mm -hmm. capable of being a fully functional awesome member of society and then what do you do well from there it's time for them to join our farm we call it the farm or kamulu area and this and kamulu is the name of a village yes it's around uh, one hour's drive away from isli so we 
take them out there after they've you know shown us their interest and then from there we start we start them on with the what we're calling the literacy program and this is a program of them learning just how to read and write you no know, english english which is and the yeah. language of commerce in in kenya and even talk yes and so on the streets, they obviously haven't learned any English. They come to Kamulu and they learn this. That's the fir- one of the first things. Mm-hmm. In, in, so, uh, in the basis, they've been used, used to talking Shang. You know, and they, you know, they hardly even know the right Swahili, which is also a national language, but they hardly use that. You know, mostly they use what, what they call, you know, what is called Shang. Shang? Yeah, Shang is a slang. Slang, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of slang that is being used on the basis. And so the, they come out there and we start teaching them basic English, Bible, and mathematics. You know, and and uh, the reason for teaching those is that they can be able to read when, when they leave MITS and they can be able to talk in English. And uh, they can also be able to do simple calculations and Bible so that they can continue to hold on to the hope that God has a better yeah. plan for them. And how how long will they be in this portion of the program at Kamulu? The literacy program takes around two years. You know, from the time they come in, um, well, it depends maybe the time. The they age. Come in. So if, if a twelve year 12, comes out, it, mm-hmm. it takes longer. It takes four years. If they come in at fourteen, then they stay until they're sixteen. So it's a maximum of uh, four. And a minimum of two. And you have how many students at Kamulu right now? Is it in the nineties? Right, right now we have ninety-one students. And are they? I mean, obligated to be there? Can they leave whenever they want? Is this? Are they? Are you? You know, under guard? I mean, how do you? How do you keep them there? I think uh, what has maybe helped us have a good, <clears throat> excuse me, a good uh, time with the kids is because we allow them to choose. They can choose to stay at MITS and be given freedom no, to stay there. But they can also choose to leave if they want to. And how many choose to leave during the literacy program portion? So uh, During that period, let's say we bring in 10 kids. We anticipate at least three will, will run away. And this is maybe because they're not used to schedules. Uh-huh. No, they, they are... While on the streets, they tell themselves what to do. You know, when am I going to wake up? Where will I go? Yeah. What will I do? And all of that. So they come to MITS and we tell them, here's how it's going to work. You need to wake up at this time. You need to clean your bed. You need to take a shower. You need to get your tea. You need to be in class. You need to be in chapel. You know, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, to some of them thinking, this is too much. And to some, it's just due to the addiction of drugs. They're yeah. thinking, oh, I no, I can't take it anymore, and they just decide to run out. I've heard stories of, of just kids that will get off the streets, and, and they're, they're at Kamulu for the first time, will just shove their bodies full of food at their very first meal mm-hmm. because because the idea that they have food is so different from the life on the, on the streets and mm-hmm. at the bases. Uh, so it's almost like I've got to eat it now while it's sitting in front of me, and they don't realize... There's going to be more food, you know, tomorrow and every day that I'm in Kamulu. Mm-hmm. Why I can't? Why would a student choose to, to be in charge of their own schedule over having meals provided every day? Well, 
as as I think about it, I'm I'm, I'm thinking it's because of again um, the freedom they get out there. You know, they they would rather sometimes miss you know this food and know that they can be able to have their own scheduling of things, you know, yeah. which is even difficult for us to understand. It like, is. you know, here is a new life. Here is all the food you need and you're choosing that, you know, to live in the garbage away from this, you know. Sometimes it's even hard for us to understand, but uh, we under, you know, we look at it and sometimes just, you know, allow them knowing that maybe the addiction is too high or maybe yeah. there's something that keeps drawing them there. So, when the literacy program is over, what happens next? Well, when they finish their literacy program, then there's what we call in the skills program. And that takes two years, from the time they are 16 years to the time they are 18. And we take them into uh, many of the skills that we have. And what are the skill programs that you have? Uh, we allow them to choose from uh, catering, which is you know, cooking food and preparing. We allow them to choose from woodworking. We allow them to choose from uh, hairdressing. We allow them to choose from sewing or tailoring. We allow them to choose from computers, from agriculture, from auto mechanics, from masonry. You know, it's it's a wide yeah. area for them that you know there is a choice for everyone. If if I can say that, you no, know, yeah. that allows each one of them to find something that they think will help them become you know, what they've always desired to become. And after four years of living in Kamulu for a 12-year-old who, who for four years is there, you, they get an idea of what that is. And maybe you even see that in them developing. They, they start to think, that's what I want to become. Oh, yeah. I want to be a caterer mm-hmm. or I want to be an auto mechanic. Mm-hmm. And then they spend two years working with members of the staff who are training them in how to do this. Yes. Um, mostly we have... Uh, trained team members in each of those areas you know, that I've mentioned who work with the kids on a daily basis. They, they have a curriculum to follow that they have to ensure that kids are being yeah. taught every day and right. every time and, and that they are continuously working towards achieving or getting towards to become what they have chosen to become. And uh, once they've gotten to, uh, to 18, then it will be time for them to graduate at MITS and they get a certificate or a diploma in the field that they have uh, chosen. And then the following year, which is 19, then we start helping them to look for a place to uh, to work or a place mm-hmm. of an attachment or internship. And, you know, yeah. and then they begin their life. You guys have a really intentional exit strategy yes, to do. connect them to employers, to op- places to live, so that they can begin to to be fully functional, independent members of society, contributing to the Kenya, you know, economy. Mm-hmm. You're right because uh, once you leave them, let's say they get to eighteen, and you just say, "Okay, you finished your time here. It's time to go." You know, it's like we'll be taking them back to the streets mm-hmm. because. They're like, okay, I finished and all of this, but where do I go? Right. How do I start and all of that? So we have, a, you know, as, as you said, an intentional way of helping them get grounded to, to society. You know, maybe help them pay rent for for some months, help them with, with food, help them with transport for those mm-hmm. you know, periods that they are looking for a job, you know, so that you know, they, can, they can get a footing on it. 
And you lead how many employees or how many teachers and dorm parents and, and training people are part of the team? Uh, I have around uh, 30 team members, but I also have other people who work in the farm and help mm-hmm. in guarding our properties and stuff. So a total of around 40 people. And you have been with MITS from the beginning? Yes, I have. Even before the beginning? Because you were part of helping get it started. Have, have you ever have you ever thought about doing anything else? I mean, have you ever thought, I, I, I don't know about this thing, you know, or has it just always been a, 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 an obvious blessing from God to do mm-hmm. this job and to have this occupation? Well, I'll say there has been times when I felt maybe, you know, I'm not able to meet all my needs. I'm not able to do all the things I would want for my families and family and stuff and thought maybe I could go at a place and work at some other place that I could mm-hmm. maybe get more something like that yeah you know that has always crossed my mind at some time but I think uh, looking back at the satisfaction of seeing someone else succeed and seeing someone else uh, have uh, self-worth and someone else become important whom you know who was looked down upon i think that satisfaction always makes me say this is enough you know going back every time and seeing another person come out go through the program get a job start making money and they are able to fend for themselves and maybe even help their families i'm like thank you god this is this is enough this is enough i know you know the funds will come and God will take care of my family and all of that. So, I just remember coming home from Kenya when I when I was able to be there. I think it was December of 2011, and just telling my wife and telling the people at my church, I don't I don't think I've ever seen the gospel shine more brightly on earth than than in Kamulu and Eastleigh at, at, through that ministry. I've never seen a, a group of employees. Um, so unified around a mission. Uh, I have never, I've just never seen so clearly the difference between life and death, you know, in terms of a ministry. Um, those of us in this country who are doing youth ministry, we, we can talk about making a difference in the lives of students. And, 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 it's, and it, I don't mean to minimize what we do, you know, at all, um, we're, we're, and, and the satisfaction that you talk about, you know, we, as youth ministers, it's incredibly satisfying to watch a, a student come into a youth ministry, mm-hmm. whether it's as a sixth grader or a 10th grader that comes to visit with a friend and watch faith develop in them and to watch them become, you know, adults who are mature disciples of Christ. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, but that, you know, it's just so in, incredible to watch that happen in your context mm-hmm. where every student, every single kid that comes into your program, you know, was headed toward an early death, you know, and and, and mm-hmm. all the every step of that path toward an early death being one, you know, that was just almost hard to imagine living and, and then to see that turn into by the power of God, you know, um, self-respect and self-worth and, and love for others. And, you know, I know you've got, there are tribal conflicts in Kenya mm-hmm. that 
that because of God, even on your team, you guys have been able to sort of put the, the blood of Jesus first and yes. to say, we're not going to let these define who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you're teaching. Are you teaching those kids as they come out of the streets? Um, I, I saw, a, a, the, Darlene had done a Christmas activity with the kids. I don't know, maybe it was a day where you the, the team, the staff had kind of taken an early day off, and I think Charles and Darlene had done some Christmas programming with them that year, mm-hmm. and they had made, um, one of the things they had done, I saw some pictures, was gingerbread houses. Mm-hmm. They had decorated gingerbread houses, and, and they had also made and decorated these little uh, paper sacks mm-hmm. that held, I don't know whether it held cookies, you know, maybe it was mm-hmm. gifts or something that they had made for others, but the bags, they decorated these bags, and I got to looking through them. They were all on the on the Colston's uh, dining room table, mm-hmm. and there were, I don't know, 80, 60, 70, I don't know how many, how many kids you had at Kamulu in, in 2011, but one of those bags said something that I will never forget. It just simply said, it said M-I-T-S, and then underneath it, it said, I love myself so much. (laughs) And I I remember reading that thinking, you know, in my context, in South Nashville, I might be a little disturbed to to read that from one of my students that says, I love myself so much, because it might have the sense of kind of, yeah, selfishness to it or yeah. uh, I'm so awesome you know mm-hmm. sort of like a, a haughtiness like I'm the best yeah. or I'm all that if you will to you know but in your context I don't know whether this was a girl or a guy and I don't know how long they had been at Kamulu and how many years removed from the streets and all that that represented in their lives but a kid that is now able to say I love myself so much because of what God is doing amidst it's it's just life, You're right? And uh, and so I I am just so thankful. Um, I I said you know on the podcast that you're a youth minister, or I think of you that way. I mm-hmm. think of Charles and Darlene that way, even though what we do is very very different. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know, this podcast is for youth workers, uh, people who are doing for the most part congregational youth ministry in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're working with. With students, you know, most of which are not homeless. Uh, most of them are, are not being raped. Most of them do not have to scrounge in the trash to find food. Um, at, at times, the needs of our students are tougher to identify. Um, not quite as obvious as the needs of a, of a homeless street kid in, in Eastleigh. Um, do you have any advice for guys like me? that are doing youth ministry in, in this context. I mean, you've been to the U.S. several times. You've gone to many churches like Otter Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, you've spoken to their parents. You've taught classes with, with teens in it. Um, do you have any advice after the 20 years of work with MITS that you would share with youth ministers like me? Uh, I think I think there is a lot of things that is people who work with... Uh, young people we encounter you know we encounter a lot of good but there are those times that one or two things happen and you know those i think those are the times that i have found for me they have been very discouraging and you know make me kind of forget the good that that has happened 
And so my encouragement would be to people who are working with young people that, uh, you know, just be patient with, with, with yourself and with the kids and, and know that uh, God knows what you're doing and he will reward you in his time because he knows that, you know, as he says in his word, you know, yeah, your labor is not in vain and that in his time he's going to do what is right. Last night I got to hear you tell a story. Actually, you told, maybe it was yesterday afternoon, I can't, I can't remember, but it was a story of a girl that it worked with and then a story of a girl that it didn't who, who went you know she went back to the streets and, mm-hmm. and chose to leave Kamulu and it was discouraging and when these things happen um, and you you said something along the lines of it's not always going to mm-hmm. work yes but but then there are times that it does mm-hmm. and so I hear you saying be patient you know during the this discouragement will come mm-hmm. But God is at work. Amen. And, and that's a good word Amen. for us. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I love you. I, I can't wait to, to get back over there. I, I actually, on the way to, to school this morning, when I was with Charity, we were talking about uh, going to Africa someday. And, and she said, uh, she said I, I can't even put into words how excited it would be, how exciting <laughs> I would be, or exciting it would be. Yeah. But then she also said, she said, but I also can't imagine how many tears I would cry, you know, mm. because she's heard of the pain and mm-hmm. the suffering. Um, sometimes people like me can, can get to thinking um, that, that what everybody in Kenya really needs is, is a house like the one I have mm-hmm. or a car like the one I drive um, or food like the food I eat. What, what's your response to that as a, as a guy that grew up on the streets of Mathari and, and now lives in, in a village outside of Nairobi? Well, uh, I would say that close to half of the people in, in the country are not thinking of uh, most of those things. They are just thinking about getting enough to eat today. That's all they're thinking about. Am I going to be able to get enough to eat today? For me and my children and for me and my family, that's all they're thinking about. And so I would think for you then, you are way, way, way ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And so really a lot a lot to be grateful for oh, yeah. in my thinking. So somebody listening to this thinks, man, I want to... I want to go visit Mitts. I, I I wish I could find out more about this ministry. Or do you ever let youth? You know, maybe my youth group could come visit. What 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 do they do? How do they find out um, the answers to some of these questions? We have our website uh, www.madeinthestreetsoneword.org. Madeinthestreets.org. Yes. And they can and they can contact you that way. They can contact me through that way. They can also get our coordinator for trips and interns and groups who's accessibly breedings. Uh, she helps coordinate all of that. But uh, what we do is when we have a group that's ready, then this, the communication is between that group, Cecily breedings, and I. And Cecily, does she still yeah. live out in California? Yes, she does. Okay. You know, and that way, you know, we have a flow. Because I'm mostly in Kenya, then in Kenya I can know this group is working towards this, and we can send emails back and forth uh-huh. until the time of coming. Okay, so groups do come, and I, and and how yes, does that do. how does that work? I mean, how does it go when they're there? 
when they are there there are uh, ways that they plug in <clears throat> and uh, the major ones are to engage in our uh, classroom activities but apart from that we give them or we allow them to teach uh, to work with our kids on you know maybe uh, vacation bible schools and you know new games and you know just things that will help these students know that they are loved and cared for and that they truly are important as we tell them yeah. Uh, someone could also sponsor a child. I mean, this is this is this happens all the time. You're right. Yeah, that that can happen too. We have... And is it is is it safe to just say the limit to the number of students that you can have off the streets in Kamulu at the training program there is related directly to funds that come? That's in? that's safe to say. Yes. So, if there's anybody here in this that, that just trying to figure out what to do with your money, <laughs> you. Madeinthestreets.org. Yes. Um, well, I uh, love you. I'm so thankful that you're here um, in in the United States for us to to hug and be with and listen to. And and I'll you know of course have a picture that I tweet out of of Francis movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, and hopefully this has been an encouragement. You know, hopefully if you're listening to this youth worker, um, you know th- th- this this. I don't, something that you've heard has either encouraged you or maybe even challenged you uh, to, to take a look at your context differently or to, or to um, consider uh, the, 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 how um, big the world is and how powerful our God is to, to do His thing in so many places. Because I know there's other ministries like Made yeah. in the Streets all over mm-hmm. the world yeah, that are doing things right. like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, it's a little early to tell, mm. but it's I'm 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 sorry that Arsenal probably won't uh, qualify in the uh, top four this year. I, you know, oh, it's it's going to be tough again. Um, but Booby, oh, I, I think I'll remind you about that when the league is done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait for the year that the, yeah. that the Spurs are going to get the triple. Uh, or that Arsenal is relegated. Please oh. give Maureen a hug for me. Uh, please tell tell your sons uh, that, that the Rubios say hello. I'm going to start the music. Uh, we're going to get a hug, and then we'll be out of here. And I'm going to pray quickly as we hug. God, uh, I pray blessings on this man. Thank you for the life that he's lived and, and for the work that he has done. Um, Thank you for the 20-year anniversary of Made in the Streets coming up next summer. Bless uh, Boovy as he travels back home and continue to save street kids in Jesus' name through that ministry. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Booby, thank you. I love yeah. you. Anything you want to say by way of goodbye? Oh, thank you, Kwaheri. See you again. 